Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Welcome to the final episode of Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media, the special Dakar Rally Edition for 2019, because the event is done and dusted. History was made. Radikazu Racing South Africa winning their first ever title at the world's toughest race. Ordinarily, we've been doing this podcast each and every night, uh, but we skipped a few days uh, following the victory because first we needed to work, then we needed to make our way back to South Africa. We're halfway there, and we currently find ourselves in Sao Paulo, the biggest city in South America. Second biggest, incidentally, was Lima, where we came from. And uh, when I say we, of course, I'm talking about myself, Derek Alberts, Voldu van der Waal, Hannes Fisser, and Raymond Habst. Uh, good afternoon, gents. We're about an hour away from setting sail for Johannesburg. Uh, yeah, Voldu, it's, it's been a tough, busy, rewarding trip. It has. It really has been tough and, and busy and also very rewarding in the sense that obviously we're going home with the biggest trophy. Um, and that's what we set out to do, as in the team did. But it's also been rewarding to sit in the hotel lobby and see how clean-shaven everyone is, um, which is um, something that I haven't seen since setting sail from Joburg. Yeah, oh man, it, the feeling, Hannes, of waking up this morning and being able to say, no, I haven't quite slept, slept enough yet, I think I'm just going to go back to bed. Well, we had the opportunity to uh, catch another few hours, which we all did, and uh, it was a wonderful feeling. All well rested for this long flight, which was good. Um, the good thing about flying South African Airways, of course, is it's the only airways in the entire world where you will be able to get real South African Brunnerwein. So I'm happy, looking forward to getting on the plane to have a clippy and coke and uh, hopefully a good night's sleep so that we can get back to South Africa on Sunday morning and have a braai. Oh, are you excited to sample that stuff for the first time in your life? It won't be the first of my life. It'll be the first time in a few days <laughs> seeing where we are. But yes, I am. Ray, you chuckling there on the side there. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you, I think it's your, your wife's birthday today. You missed your son's birthday a couple of days ago. It's going to be a, an exciting reunion uh, when you touch down. Yeah, hit home and uh, straight to uh, party mode. We get home and uh, celebrate both of their birthdays. So yeah, these are one of the things I think we've all experienced in our careers. It's just uh, the sacrifices we make. But you know, you just do it. You get on with it. And um, you really enjoy your time at home when you do get back. Yeah, it's uh, been a, a really good day of R&R, &R and uh, we're wrapping things up with the podcast, sitting around in the hotel lobby, uh, chatting nicely, well-rested, uh, excited to, to board that flight uh, destined for Johannesburg. But Voldu, looking back at this trip, I mean, Nasa Letia coming home with the victory alongside Michi Bomel. We'll hear from him a little later, also Janiel de Villiers. Janiel described it as the most flawless performance at the Dakar that he's ever seen. Remember the team led from start to finish overall each and every day. Uh, NASA leading nine stages, Janiel that won after stage two. But yeah, they, they certainly dominated matters. I think it's, um, it's interesting because it's the first time that the team has, has sort of led the race from the front on, instead of char charging or trying to catch up from, from behind. And it really is that, so whole mentality of chasing a target in cricket or setting a target. Um, and these guys throughout the race set the target and left the other guys to chase them. But I also felt from our side that it made us a lot more twitchy, a lot more nervous. It's like having a thoroughbred racehorse in the, in the stable, you know. Anything can happen, anything can go wrong, and, and you're much more on a knife edge. If, you, if you're chasing a target, then you can always throw your hands up and say, look, we tried our best. 
But if you, you lose the race from the front, then, well, it was yours to lose, and you can only blame one person, and that's yourself, or in this case, the team. Yeah, man. And it's, I mean, we, we came into the race, and I say we, I mean, Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa. We were, of course, the official media representatives for the team. We're doing the TV show, etc. We're doing radio, we're doing social media, we're doing written media, we're doing, we're covering all bases. So we really did feel like, and the podcast, of course, we really did feel like part of the team. And, and yeah, we, we do represent them. So we came into this race with high hopes, um, I think higher than most of the years. Absolutely. I mean, we've had every single position on the podium, three, two, three, two, you know, we've had so many podium finishes, but, but the number one was the one that eluded us all. And um, the expectations were to come for the victory. I mean, that's what everybody set out to do, and that's what we did. And, and, and yeah, sure, it's a long shot. It's the world's toughest race against the world's toughest competitors, against big-budget teams that, that, that come here with cars that, <laughs> that are paid for in Euros and not South African rands. And, and I think that makes a big difference. But even so, we know what quality team we have. I mean, we work with them all the time back in South Africa in the South African Championship, and we've, we've um, walked a long way, you know, uh, road with this team we know how good Lynn and these guys are we know how the mechanics can work we know how good Janil is we know how good Nasser is so it was a long shot but we all came here with the idea that yes we are going for the victory and to finally be part of a team that pulled it off is absolutely fantastic and magnificent feeling really was fantastic and now we we got to that final day uh it was stage 10 it was a, a short 112 kilometer stage I mean nothing really that that ripped through that in about an hour and we got to the bivouac before they started. And the night before, we chatted to Glenn, we chatted to Janiel, and they towed the same line, understandably so, saying, look, it's not over till it's over. There's still 112 Ks left of this race, irrespective of how big a lead Nasser and Mathieu hold. And, uh, yeah, it, it was pretty relaxed in the bivouac uh, before they took off. And the coolest moment for me that morning, which summed up the camaraderie, the atmosphere, the spirit within the camp, was Janiel and Dirk tying camper chairs to the back of their Hilux vehicle because they were leaving 56 minutes prior to, to NASA and uh, Mathieu. And as we all know now, they went and at that first dune, took out the chairs, camped there, waited for 56 minutes until NASA arrived, and then they played that supporting, that supporting role. And to see Janil and Dirk join up with NASA as the two Hiluxes went on their way toward the finish line was spectacular to see. I think the... the Camping chairs on the back of the car um, exemplifies or shows this team more than anything that we've achieved over the years. Um, you know, I couldn't see a Peugeot crew doing the same thing. I can't see the minis, any of them, doing something similar. And the reality is that we are still a South African team. We still have that South African mentality, that humor, um, and we're allowed as a team to show it as well. Um, and, and that just you know, showed exactly the, the character of Janil and Dirk as a supporting crew. But then obviously, when it was time to do the job, <laughs> they left the chairs in the desert and they did the job. And like you said, it was absolutely spectacular to see them join and the two cars racing to the finish in, uh, in close formation. You know, Valder, on that note, just to add a little bit on Janil, I mean, everyone's faffing about Nasser, what a great driver he is. And sure, he's the world's best and fastest cross-country driver and he showed it again by winning uh, from the front. But Janil... Keep, just, just remember one thing, Janil has only finished outside of the top 10, I think, once in 14 or 15 attempts. 
And this year, he played a perfect role. I mean, early on, he led the rally. So, I mean, that, that uh, just uh, shows again what a great and fast driver he is. And then later, when things changed, he lost his four, four and a half hours with that rock that we spoke much about. Uh, later, he helped Bernard, lost another hour. And on the last day, gave up eighth position by waiting another hour in the desert. I mean, so, and even so, he still finished in the top 10. So, he keeps his, his top 10 finishing record intact. Um, so we should never, you know, was Janil did a fantastic, fantastic job overall. And we had Glenn chatting to us the other night. Now, I forget the exact numbers, but I think from what I remember, he said that they've done the calculations and had Janil not lost the time on stage three, he would have finished second overall. Yeah, Derek, it's difficult to say that. I mean, you can make sums and, 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 and deduct times and do all sorts of things. The reality of the fact is after you lose four and a half or five hours, you drive in a different mindset, you're further down the field. So it's difficult to make those calculations. I mean, of course you can say that, but we all know that if and when and what if and whatever, those aren't terms that you can use in motorsport. But if you take the time off, uh, then you would have definitely, maybe not second, but, but, but top three, I would imagine, at least, yes. Yeah, certainly so. So let's hear from Janil de Villiers. Uh, caught up with him immediately afterwards. He came through the finisher just after NASA, the two Hilux vehicles, uh, coming through as uh, NASA celebrated his victory and Janil and Dirk, of course, playing that supporting role. Here is uh, the man from Stellenbosch. Yeah, really, really happy for the team. You know, uh, this has been eight years uh, we've been trying to win this race and... Um, you know, first of all, congratulations to NASA and Matthew. They did a faultless, faultless race. I think in all my years, I haven't seen a team uh, do a race as faultlessly as this one. And, um, you know, really, really happy for the team. Um, you know, of course, we had some bad luck on day three. One rock uh, cost us four and a half hours. But, you know, this is part of the race. That's why you need a good team uh, with a couple of good uh, cars and teams in the, in the, in the race to give you the best possible chance to win it and uh, it just showed again you know this race is not the toughest race in the world for nothing uh, but yeah I mean you know Glenn, Glenn Hall and the, the team back at the workshop all the mechanics all the engineers everybody they did a sterling job to, to get us to this point and uh, well done to all of them and I'm sure we're going to have a couple of beers. Certainly so and uh, just like I mean you're, play, you're playing a supporting role that image of you joining up at NASA in the dunes uh, was epic. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, it's part of the race. That's what I said. You know, you have to be a good team here yeah, to win this race. It's not only one or two guys that make this possible. It's it's quite a few people that make this possible. And everybody's got to pull and work together to make this happen. And, um, you know, it was our turn this, this year to do that um, after our misfortune. And, um, you know, we happily... We're very happy to do that and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, give Toyota Gazoo Racing uh, finally the win in the Dakar Rally. Yeah, they finally got it. Mass celebrations all around. And it was great to see, Valdu. I mean, we were all there at the finish. And, and what was nice was that we had lost the waypoint tracking throughout. And they'd, lost, they'd had three waypoint tracking uh, areas. We got the first two and the third one was down. So while we're all pretty much sure that NASA would come over that dune in first place, uh, you didn't know for certain. And, and the team of mechanics and engineers, the team principal, Glenn Hall, they're waiting there at the end as well with bated breath. You're expectant but nervous as well. And when you saw the cam over the horizon, uh, sure, there are celebrations aplenty. I'll never forget standing next to Glenn because he couldn't actually stand um, with the mechanics any longer. He had to get closer and closer to the stop control to actually see them with his own eyes physically as soon as possible. So he walked forward and I walked along with him 
And uh, we were standing there waiting for them to approach. You could see the choppers in the distance, and then suddenly the helicopter started hovering. And Glenn said to me, uh, I think this is getting a bit long. And then he checked his timing again, and he said, no, they definitely are late. I said, Glenn, they've slowed down. It's the end. They don't have to push. I'm sure they're fine. Just relax. And he said, no, no, I'm sure there's a problem. Looking at his watch again. And then the next moment, obviously, the two cars came over the hill, and it was all good. And... um, and Glenn just burst into tears immediately, as you can understand. I mean, to see two South African cars built and developed in his workshop win the Dakar, what a moment for him. It was beautiful to see. Ray, you've covered many, many a sporting event, and that scrum of reporters and journos and cameramen at the end, uh, and that was uh, pretty tough to work in, that environment. And I, you put a f- camera straight in Glenn's face. He was on the phone. Uh, I'm not too sure to who, but he was covered in tears. Yeah, I was right there when um, the moment Valdo was talking about, and uh, he could he never mind speak. He could barely stand on his own two feet. <laughs> We've even got an interview with him with Dirk afterwards, and he's he, he's wobbling. He was so overrun with emotion that he he just he was just um, overwhelmed. You could see what everything in his eyes, and you could see the way he was talking it, what it meant to him, and you know that's that's just wonderful to see. That's it's it's so personal, and a lot of times sports becomes almost impersonal. So it was uh, a real nice touch. In complete contrast, Hannes, we've got Nasser Alatia, who's a machine behind the wheel, and he's a machine in person because he came here to do a job to win his third Dakar Rally title, and that's what he did. I mean, of course, he was happy about it, but uh, it was almost as if yes, this is how we do things. I'll never forget Tiger Woods when he won a tournament when he first started dating his ex-wife, she said she had arranged a party afterwards because uh, she used to up here for a former player in Jasper Parnovic. And she said, oh, well, with Jasper, we always used to have a party every time he won an event. And he said, no, we don't celebrate because this is what I do. I'm supposed to win. Almost felt like Nasser felt that way as well. Nasser is a robot. He is a machine. I mean, he, when he gets in the car, he's got one aim and one aim and goal only, and that is to go as fast as possible and, and win. And he knows that if he does pull it off, he will win. That's how fast he is and calculated he is. But um, besides that, he's also, uh, he doesn't show it, but he's also a human being. You know, when the helmet comes off and he's with the team, you can see how much time and effort he spends by, by chatting to the team and the mechanics and, you know, the guys who no- don't normally get the credit. And I would like to talk about them a little bit going forward now in the next few minutes but you know Nasser will take time to get out of the car and before he's speaking to anyone he'll go to every single mechanic and shake their hands and say thank you thank you for the hard work thank you for the effort so he's a a robot he's a machine but he's also a human being and you know we've spent some time with Nasser in 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 South Africa training in in the Kalahari desert Um, you know the guy will spend six seven hours in the car all day testing suspension he doesn't get out he doesn't break a sweat and when everybody's done and finished and and, and really tired and we hit the bar to try and find a cold one nasa will then go for a little leisurely eight kilometer jog around uh, kalahari pan in in the heat and whatever you know so he is nearly 50 years old but it doesn't show he's in top uh, top shape he's fit he's a he, he is a machine but as i said he's also a human being and i think he understands the value of of of, of uh, the great teamwork that he enjoyed yeah, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, we experienced that immediately. When, when he got out of that car, we'd always want to be the first to get the first sound bite from him. But put up his hand, he said, hold on a sec, let's uh, congratulate the real heroes. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, he'd go around to each and every mechanic that was involved uh, in putting together his uh, car to get it over the finish line. Now, let's hear from the man who has captured 
the 2019 Dakar Rally title in the car category. Nasser Alatia. Yes, we are happy, you know, to, to win this race, you know, and thank for the teams. Uh, this is a good uh, gift, uh, you know, from uh, each other, you know, from me, from the teams, uh, uh, for the Toyota, you know, and yeah, uh, I am really, really happy, you know, to win this race. You and Mathieu are very quick to bring up Glenn Hall. Uh, what does he mean to the team? It's been a lot, you know, because, uh, you know, if you see the teams start from 2012 and never win this race, Finish only second place, you know, last year we finished second and to win uh, uh, today, it's mean a lot, you know, for uh, for the team and for the Toyota. And you had a nice support in Janiel and Dirk? Yes, yes, absolutely, from all the teams, not only from uh, Janiel and uh, from Tempering, from from the teams, you know, and just uh, uh, last two days, uh, Janiel is always behind us, this is make us really uh, uh, quiet. How are you feeling emotionally? Yeah, feeling good, you know, I'm I'm quite happy. And finally, Mathieu, what a role did he play? Yeah, it's fantastic, you know, Mathieu did a good job, you know, and yeah, we are quite happy. Quite happy. Understatement of the year. They were ecstatic. Uh, and the team, I mean, I just mentioned it, Voldy, but uh, yeah, the, the unsung heroes, the mechanics, the guys that don't get much airplay, uh, oh, tirelessly working day in, day out uh, over the course of two and a half weeks. And of course, then you talk about the build-up to it, but yeah, no sleep. Work non-stop, all to get that machine over the line. It's one of those things that you, you simply cannot give all the credit where it's due in, in sport. It just doesn't work like that. If the Proteas, Proteas win a match or the box or so, you don't go and thank every person that carried a bottle of water and the physios and the doctors and everything like that or the sports psychiatrist. It's, it's the team that won. And in, in our case, it's also our car, our drivers that, that pulled it together. But like you say, behind the scenes are so many people that will unfortunately remain the unsung heroes. But man, did they ever work hard this race. Yeah, they really, really did. Uh, and, uh, and it was nice being in Peru, Hannes. I mean, we didn't change countries at all. Um, you're a massive fan of South America. And I reckon Peru, geez, undoubtedly the best stop we've had, I reckon. Well, uh, I've, I've seen worse in Bolivia, to be honest. Um, there are parts, well, it's like anywhere else in the world, you know, there are, there are dodgy parts and areas that, that we don't like, and there are, there are good parts that we do like. So certain areas of Peru, not my favorite. Other areas were really, really, really nice. But the landscape is fantastic, you know, and a lot of it reminds me a lot of Namibia, the, the way the desert and, and, and the ocean comes together. Um, beautiful, beautiful landscape, perfect place to have a Dakar. And, you know, we all said it's going to be 100% Peru, which is the, uh, the, the, the ASO's spin on the fact that they could only get one country this year in Dakar. That is the reality of it. And uh, we all said, yeah, it's not going to be a real Dakar. But like we've heard from everyone, Nasser and Janil, and even people like Luke Alfond and everyone telling us that it was a hell of a tough Dakar. You know, only 10 stages, fewer kilometers on the schedule, but it took longer than other Dakars that had more kilometers because the average speeds were so much slower in the dunes, which made it really, really difficult. So I think, yeah, sure, only 100% Peru. Uh, but still a proper, proper Dakar. It's not like we won a Mickey Mouse race. We won a real, real Dakar. I was reading uh, an in, um, interview with Etienne Levine, the big boss of the ASO, or rather of the Dakar, uh, online this morning, and he was saying that he's really, really pleased with the way that the race has turned out, and he can keep his chin up and say that it was a proper Dakar. The only thing that he said, and that I agree with him, is that we did miss some uh, variation in the terrain and the scenery. So the shots look similar. The, the terrain was always the same, you know, it was sand. But that certainly didn't make it any easier. I think Janil's quote summed it up after one of the stages when I asked him what was it like out there. And he said, 
dunes, dunes, and more dunes. Absolutely. It was dunes everywhere. And you can see it on the footage as well. It's, it, every day looked the same. But it, it certainly wasn't easy. Um, and I think what, what makes this special is, is that Toyota have now achieved almost the, the triple crown to a degree. I mean, winning Dakar is difficult. Uh, winning Le Mans is extremely difficult. And, of course, Toyota Gazoo Racing also won the uh, Constructors' Championship in World Rally Championship um, in 2018. So three of the biggest world motorsport challenges came together for the team just like that. And, and we're very proud to have been the cherry on top. I think the, the one disappointment... Uh, at the 2019 Dakar Rally, as far as the team was concerned. And it's someone that's close to your heart, uh, given your heritage and his nationality, was uh, Bernard Tenbrinker. Um, unfortunately, his race coming to the end uh, in uh, the eighth stage, I think it was, uh, with, yeah, eighth stage with three to go. And remember, we had a similar case last time around, penultimate stage he ended. And uh, such a nice guy, the find of the Dakar last year, couldn't quite bring it home this time around. It's so sad because the, the freaky-deaky Dutchman, as we called him last year, or the flying Dutchman, as he's earned his um, stripes, really, really is an amazing talent. And the fact that he's now got two DNFs rather than a third or a fourth place simply isn't fair. I mean, he really has brought his A-game, not just this year, but last year as well. He has amazing talent. He's been with two different navigators, and even so, he is consistent. Um, and it's, it's just such a, a pity that, that he couldn't actually record um, some stats to go with it. You know, Bernard's a great guy, great team player, but very consistent and so, so talented. I mean, it's not often that you'd expect a Dutchman to be that fast in, 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 in the sand. I mean, he hasn't got the experience that Janil's got. Bernard's only done, I think, four or five Dakars that he started with and so on. And every time we uh, wait for the guys to come in at, towards the end of the stage, there's Bernard, he's there, he's right, you know, he's right at the top, he's very, very quick in the sand, and uh, like I said, hell of a nice guy, so I'm hoping uh, going forward that he'll still be part of the team and that he can bring a good result home. I mentioned unsung heroes with regards to the mechanics and engineers, etc., the backroom staff at Toyota Zoo Racing South Africa, and I, I used the title for another member of the team um, a little earlier, and not so much unsung in that we've mentioned, mentioned plenty about him, but um, it's Hugh Bomel. I mean, not enough goes into recognizing how important a role the navigator plays, especially when you're surrounded by dunes. You know, it's one thing you talk about different sets of terrain, but dunes, it's impossible to navigate there 100% of the time, all the time. I mean, he did a stellar job. It is just incredible what these guys have to do. If you think about navigation on a South African cross-country race, you get a roadbook that gives you very detailed instructions. There are day-glow orange stickers that guide you along the way in places. And, of course, you've got a, set, uh, a GPS satellite system that actually shows you the track of where you need to be. So the navigator's role is completely different in South Africa. On, on, on Dakar, they have waypoints that they have to find and cap or compass headings that they have to follow and a very limited roadbook. So the navigator has to be able to uh, work out in his head what the correct uh, compass bearing is, uh, bring into account a little bit of information that he has from the roadbook, and then make adjustments on the fly as they have to go around dunes or over dunes and so on. So it, it's a constant battle against the mathematics of um, the odometer, the GPS system. And remember, the GPS only starts working when you come within a certain distance of a waypoint. So the poor navigator really, really has a hell of a job to do.
on that on that note, Derek, just to give an example, the guys could be down in a valley looking for a point, and the GPS might say that that point is within 100 meters away. But they're down below in a valley, and the point could be up on a hill. So, yes, uh, horizontally, it is only 50 or 100 meters away, but it's 200 meters up the hill, and you don't if you don't know it, you're, you're never going to find it. And uh, coming back to Mathieu, he did a fantastic job all really long. I don't think he made one single mistake. They never got lost. Uh I don't think they got stuck even or anything. So Mathieu obviously is, is, is like Nasser, a bit of a machine. Yeah, Glennell has spoke about the fact that he was always under pressure, was Mathieu. And he said it wasn't as if he was doing anything wrong. He just felt he can't make a mistake. And that's how much pressure he put on himself. And Ray, we spent a lot of time with Mathieu last year, a bit reserved, uh, pretty quiet. And he also suffered some motion sickness along the way. This time around, there was nothing of the sort. And it amazed me to see as the Dakar progressed, how he came out of his shell. Very talkative. Each and every day he climbed to that, that car. It was as if the smile had grown bigger. And uh, yeah, he just wanted to talk about what a fantastic stage that enjoyed. Yeah, you could see he was uh, very similar to the effect of what NASA was. It was almost as if he was in his wake. He was just every day, he was enjoying it, getting better, getting faster. Gets out of the car, looks fresher. It, it, these two guys looked as if they didn't race the same race as everybody else. They were just um, in the absolute perfect zone. It's that BMT that sportsmen have or don't have, and the two of them showed it. I mean, Mathieu was just flawless. I mean, he was just, you could just see, he was just having the, the Dakar of his life. What you also need to remember is that the faster you go, the faster you need to navigate. So it's one thing to navigate for a driver that's in the middle of the pack that's able to follow a lot of tracks going at his own pace than it is to, uh, it's a completely different story to navigate for someone like NASA who opened the stage on numerous occasions or ran right up the front. And also things are happening much quicker in that car than it does for 99% of the other competitors. So when there's a split, split second decision to be na- made, Matthew needs to be right on it immediately. He has, n- he has no margin for error, you know, so he, he has to come through. Another man who was wholly better in his overall performance than last year, not saying last year he was bad at all, but uh, the improvement was starting was Dirk von Zitzewitz, uh, another man who's uh, a Dakar rally veteran. Him and Janil, unfortunately, uh, having that tamper in stage three. But, uh, yeah, he had a smile on his face throughout, uh, knew that the role they had to play following the incident was purely a supporting one. And, yeah, he, he really, really loved his time out there and uh, more than happy to, to help uh, NASA and Mathieu over the finish line. So we managed to catch up with Dirk, who was quickly joined by team principal and arguably the happiest man in Peru on that day. Finally, we made it. I mean, you're writing Dakar history, Toyota that wins the Dakar. I'm very proud for the team, for everybody involved, especially for Glenn, for the long way. And thanks to Glenn and thanks to Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa for having me in the team and to be part of this. Great well, to have you well here. deserved. Thank you. Congratulations. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. How are you feeling? Yeah, uh, a sort of relief. I'm numb, um, but the team, everything, what an incredible uh, week, 10 days it's been. We led every day. I can't, words can't describe it, you know. It's taken too long on the other side. But uh, there's a few reasons for that. But right now it feels great. I'm proud of what all the guys have done. We made some history uh, today for Toyota. World's biggest motor manufacturer wins the world's single toughest motor race. I think that's pretty special, you know. 
And we will do mo some more history tonight, I guess. Are we going to make history tonight? Uh... <laughs> what a team principle. Oh, he's a good one. <laughs> he's the best. He's the oh, best. That's better. Thank best you. Best technician. Uh, he has got the biggest knowledge of the car. He knows everything about the car. Every screw. He knows everything about the team. Without him, the team would be nothing. So, thank uh, you. Nasser's drive. Uh, brilliant. Brilliant. He did the team job. He did... Uh, uh, fan no mistakes, I mean, which is really unusual and a, a really tough tackle. This was not an easy race. You just see uh, every day there is trouble and we had zero problems with the car. Um, the Hilux ran like absolute clockwork and NASA did exactly as he was asked. It was incredible. Yeah. And unfortunately, Dirk and uh, Janiel having some trouble after stage three, but what a supporting role they played to well, get the team over the finish line. They were they were leading the Dakar, remember, as they stopped there on that rock behind the quad. And um, we've led the Dakar every day from day one. The plan worked and then what, team effort. You can't win this Dakar on your own. And uh, Janiel and Dirk, even though they didn't have to help Nessa, the knowing that he was there gave him an extra sense of confidence and, uh, you know, in, in the whole team. It's great. Perfect. I see you nodding there. Yes, yes, definitely. It's right. And... I hope he supported NASA and Mathieu with being there and actually, uh, yes, so it was great to help. Yeah, no, no, but you can't win this race on your own, it's impossible. Just knowing they were there gave NASA the extra confidence and Mathieu and uh, yeah, it's good. We did it, it's there. <laughs> Message for South Africa, <laughs> great, great country. And I'm glad that we've got some international impact into the team as well. And all together, we are strong and the best. I second that. You know, that's so great to hear Dirk and, and, and Glenn speaking about the international factor and so on. Obviously, it is an international team because there's a Qatari and a Frenchman in the one car, uh, the other car, Bernard, with, you know, the Dutchman with the, uh, and that's a real Dutchman from Holland, <laughs> with the French navigator and then the Borussian from Stellenbosch and he's Germany and, 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 and Glenn, the team manager. But as for the rest of it, remember, it's important to realize that it is called Toyota Gazoo Racing, but it's Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa. It's a South African team run and built in South Africa from, from Midrand, the Kalami headquarters of all speed uh, with South Africans working in the team and funded by Toyota South Africa. And I think that's very important to keep in mind that, that, that uh, it's this little team, we say it's a little team, I mean, it's big in South African terms. But on the world stage, it's not, it's not so big. And uh, the achievement there was very, very big. I've just got to add that um, Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa is a team with the smallest relative budget to anyone out there. And also by far the most parts made in-house at Horse Feeds Workshop in, in Kailami. So that is quite an achievement. And also some massive role players are playing their role back in South Africa. You've just received a, a message from Andrew Kirby uh, giving his part. Just tell us a bit of background on the big man in charge, Andrew. So Andrew is the chief uh, operating officer of, um, of uh, Toyota South Africa Motors. And he has been since 2016 a man who really, really does support uh, the motorsport effort. Himself obviously a keen uh, sportsman in mountain biking. But he, uh, he sent us a little message. We're very excited about winning the Dakar and after competing for the past eight years and coming so close to finally walk away with a win is, is very encouraging indeed. I'm very pleased for the team, the whole motorsport team. They've done a tremendous job and for Toyota South Africa, it's uh, very encouraging for us. It's going to be a big boost uh, to the brand. It means an enormous amount to us and it's encouraging to know that uh, we can compete 
against global players and some of the best in the world and walk away with a victory. Thank you so much, Andrew Kirby, and great to hear from the supporter back in South Africa. And that's been another major underlying factor in this whole event. We all know about the, the Dakar rally. We all know about the sports that it garners uh, throughout the world. But, Volder, I mean, you'd be especially uh, able to, to understand just how big uh, an interest it garnered over the, the running of, of the days as they edged towards victory. I mean, you just got busier and busier and busier. And we saw it you in the passenger seat throughout our travels in South America, well, in Peru. And, uh, yeah, the inquiries you got from all and sundry just saying, listen, we want to know more. We want more. Just give it to us. It's amazing how it grew during the race. As soon as it became clear that the reality was a possible victory, people started getting hold of us, like you say. And it wasn't just from South Africa. I mean, the, the support in South Africa has been massive throughout. And, and we can't complain about that. Our, our local media has really supported the, the team's efforts. But then as it became clear that Nasser and, and Matthew was heading towards victory, the, the interest grew from all over the world. And it was literally from Japan, which you'd expect, which where the mother, mothership is, all the way to the European nations, Germany. Holland was obviously a big supporter of the race throughout, thanks to Bernard's um, participation. But then as victory drew closer and closer, like you say, the numbers just swelled. And by the end of the race, on the way back, that final run from Pisco to Lima was just a blur of WhatsApps and emails and people phoning, just wanting stuff the whole time. And hopefully we, we gave them what they needed. Yeah, it was a, a two-hour drive uh, that Hannes, as always, uh, took us through. But you mentioned a blur. I mean, I couldn't believe it. The next thing, we were back in Lima from Pisco. We had already won the Dakar. But... Uh, I mean, the amount of calls we fielded, the amount of emails that were sent out, uh, not yourself, Hannes, because we would have crashed. Um, but Can I just add, the two hours is more or less to get from, from Pisco to Lima. Then once you get close to Lima, it's another two hours to do five kilometers. That's how bad traffic is in Lima. It is probably the worst driving I've ever had to do in my life. I was going to ask, would you rate that worse than La Paz in Bolivia? No, well, okay, no, they're right up there. <laughs> I, would, I would put them on the same level. Yeah, I mean, just to explain to you listeners back home, La Paz is the capital of Bolivia. It's also the highest capital in the world. You're at altitude. And I think the drop between the top of the city to the bottom is is 1,000 meters. Yeah, quite something like that, yeah. And, I mean, the traffic is excruciating at best. And on top of that, they've, inst- um, they've installed a cable car system. Uh, similar to what you find at Table Mountain, but uh, just on a much grander, larger scale with many, many more cable cars. And that is the only city in the world where it is the official public transport system in the city. And so much so that people can't actually drive there. They need to take the cable cars. And even excluding that, that's how bad it is. But uh, Lima's right up there. Well, so this year we didn't go to La Paz, uh, which is quite nice, but for our sins, we got to spend many, many more days in Lima. Obviously, we started there and we ended there. So five days in Lima is definitely right up there with one or two or three days in, in La Paz as far as driving and traffic is concerned. Yeah, but from a passenger's point of view, we were fine. I mean, Lima is a beautiful city, the culinary capital. Derek, you were sleeping. You didn't see the <laughs> 25 million close calls we had every 100 meters. So we talk about the support that uh, we had back home, and I say we, Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa, and uh, we did open the lines to uh, ask uh, people back home to send through messages of support for the team. Uh, unfortunately, we can't play everything, but uh, here's a couple of messages that came through uh, in support of uh, Nasa Latia and Mathieu Bomel and, of course, the team. 
Jeez, what a rush. It was exciting right the way through, guys. Your podcast was so informative. We loved it. It uh, was just magic seeing the team progress and get that final number one spot. Jeez, what a what a what a win that was for everybody. Uh, we can't wait to welcome the guys home on Sunday. Hi guys, my name is uh, Johan Ferrara. I'm the sports presenter for Book Radio in Cape Town. First of all, uh, massive congratulations to Toyota Gazoo South Africa for a fine win and uh, specifically Nasser Alatia. What a brilliant performance. Hard luck to Janil de Villiers from uh, South Africa, but very proud of the team bringing that trophy back home. Then also thanks to Radio Media and to Derek Alberts for all the updates. We shared all the Dakar updates with our listeners and it was a busy period for us to really kickstart the, the sport year that is 2019 with the World Cup Rugby and World Cup Cricket also on the agenda. But this is a fine start with Toyota Gazoo South Africa bringing it home through Nasser Alatia. Well done guys, enjoy all the celebrations and hopefully we'll see you guys back trying to defend your title in 2020. Thanks very much, Johan. The first uh, note there was from Mark Jackson, based in Johannesburg. He mentioned Radar Media, and that's uh, myself and Ray's company, but it certainly is a collaborative effort. We do this every year alongside uh, Hannes and uh, Voldu van der Waal. Um, you always know them as the, the, the members and the presenters and producers of Latville, but of course your company, Plan C Productions, has been going strong for many, many years. And yeah, this is a, a joint effort that we always get to do um, for a month in Jan, and uh, we love doing it, Valdi. Yeah, it's great to work with you guys, and we look forward to next year already. I don't want to let any um, any cats out of any bags, but there might be some uh, very exciting news in between now and then. So we'll keep you posted, and we'll certainly uh, work with you guys throughout. Yeah, it's uh, superb working with you guys. Uh, Ray, final thoughts after a magnificent couple of weeks? Yeah, it's always sad to come to an end of a big production like this but luckily in the past we've seen how quickly this year will go and we'll blink blink and we'll be on the next flight to wherever in the world to cover yet something brilliant and uh, it's always exciting to do it with professionals like yourselves so it's been a really good trip. Interesting that you know it, uh, wherever it may be I mean Valdi we don't know numbers I mean we don't know exact details whatsoever but uh, there is a lot of question marks as to where the next year's Dakar rally will be. Oh, rumors are rife at the moment. Uh, part of that interview I spoke to spoke about earlier with Etienne Levine, the question that the journalist asked him is, where are we going for 2020? And the Frenchman said, I don't know. So he doesn't know, we don't know. And his final thoughts? Yeah, it was just another whirlwind trip through South America. Unbelievable. Can't believe the two weeks have flown by uh, so quickly. Great to have survived it. Great uh, for the team result and happy all round. So, yeah, looking forward to getting home now. Yeah, we are going to be on the same flight uh, with the, the the majority of the team uh, getting back in Johannesburg. Uh, what time do we touch down, Hannes? Um, I think it's exactly 10 minutes past 7 on Sunday morning. Okay, cool. So that's uh, all the more reason to get down to Oatamba International. If you are a big fan of Toyota Gazoo Racing South Africa, to see them home and welcome them. Uh, into, back into the country as they carry aloft the Dakar Rally title for 2019. Gents, it, gents it's been an honor and a privilege. We've loved every second of it. And uh, thanks for the podcast, a new addition to our staple that we do manage to provide uh, while covering the Dakar Rally 2019. We'll see you in 2020, but hopefully this doesn't die down. Well, it certainly won't. Uh, we'll be 
upping the coverage across events uh, for 2019. Thanks for joining us uh, throughout our adventures in South America. We'll see you soon.